Good morning, church family. It's good to be together, although we can't physically be in the same space. In the Lord, we are one. In the Lord, we are united. And it is good to be together. It's good to be together on this Good Friday. It's good to be together in worship this Easter. It's good for us to recognize that the church is worldwide and we are part of a worshiping family. This morning, our sermon is titled, Your Will Be Done. And our reading is taken from Matthew chapter 26, from verse 36 to verse 46. The context, the chapter has begun right at the end of Jesus's life with a plot against Jesus. Jesus is anointed at Simon's house at Bethany and shortly thereafter in offense, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. We move to the Last Supper and at the end of that, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. And then in verse 36, we read the following. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell to his, with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Thereafter follows the betrayal of Jesus, the abandonment of the disciples, and the entry into his trial. I outline this morning as we look at your will be done and this passage on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane we look first at the agony of Jesus. We see how the disciples go missing in action. 
And then thirdly, we look at the Father's will. The agony of Jesus. Jesus says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus enters into a space that feels as though sorrow itself might kill him. It's an incredibly intense time. A battle is raging. Luke tells us in his gospel that even though an angel came from heaven and appeared to him and strengthened him, his anguish was so great that it was as though drops of blood were falling to the ground. He is in excruciating, heartbreaking agony and pain. What is going on and why the agony? It depends which lenses we read through. Jesus knows he's facing accusation and death and he's, he's reminded the disciples several times this will be the case He's been trying to get them to understand the Son of Man will be handed over to the, to the chief priests and to the Romans. And, and then he will be crucified and on the third day rise again. But the lenses that, that many cultures look through have a heroic death narrative. Where it is noble to face death with strength and stoicism. It's almost as though this, the sense is, don't let it get to you. Defy death, at least with emotional control, even if death does have the final say over your body. And so in ancient Greece, Socrates was famous for his calm before his death. And the cultures in the, in the East, especially the Far East, have a culture where shame is worse than death. And so to, to lose your composure in that time is disappointing, even embarrassing. But that's through one lens, one cultural frame. But you see, for Jesus, Jesus is steeped in a biblical worldview where death was a curse to be thoroughly lamented and grieved. Death is a, as a violator and an enemy. And so while Jesus ruined every funeral he attended or that we know he went to, it is notable that even in such moments, his compassion and his lament and his grief is laid bare. He weeps with the sisters of Lazarus, and he weeps for them. And there is an agony in Jesus when faced with death and loss and the effects of sin and the curse on this world in which his heart cries and laments, it was never meant to be this way. But clearly there is more going on than just lament and vulnerability he stays in prayer for several hours, interrupting only to see if his closest friends are standing with him. We're in a moment of isolation, many of us cut off, and it's, and it's sobering to see, comforting to see, that in these moments of turmoil and struggle and challenge, that Jesus is wanting his friends to be with him. It's okay. 
it's good to want community. It's good to want connection. And so he prays, only interrupting to see if his closest friends are standing with him. Mark 14, 36 records this is a most intimate appeal. And, and, and says he uses the word Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. What is this cup? What is it that Jesus is so earnestly asking the Father to spare him? There's an interesting reading in Matthew chapter 20, where we read the following from James and John. And their mother comes to Jesus and, and asks of him whether these two fine young men could possibly uh, get seats of prominence in the kingdom that is to come. And so kneeling down, she asks a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and at the other in your, at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for by my Father. When the other ten heard about this, they were indignant at the two brothers. Jesus says to James and John, who happened to be in the garden with him alongside Peter, you will indeed Drink from my cup. What is this cup that Jesus is wanting to be spared? Something we would rather not know is that greatness in the kingdom is tested and revealed by suffering. Scripture is clear. We will suffer for Jesus. We will suffer with him. We will also if we follow him, move towards the suffering of others with redemptive intent. We don't want to leave them in that space. This world was not made for suffering. It was made for something different. We even at times, like Jesus, suffer for the sake of others. This is the cup of Jesus that his followers, especially those who long to have some kingdom heritage, will also have to drink. But Jesus will drink the deepest cup of all. Isaiah chapter 51 is a remarkable chapter of promise. The first two-thirds talk about everlasting salvation, everlasting righteousness and justice and everlasting joy. But the second section of the chapter, beginning in verse 17, reads as follows. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. 
you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. This chapter, this remarkable chapter of salvation, justice, redemption, says that the cup of God's wrath will, by an act of God, pass from his people to their enemies. And so it ends with verse 22 and 23. This is what your sovereign Lord says. Your God who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that makes you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath. You will never drink again. I put it in the hands of your tormentors. There is a cup of fury that will pass from God's people to God's enemies because of an act of deliverance that comes from God. And this cup of God's wrath is love's fury. You see, God doesn't have a split personality switching between love and anger. He is utterly consistent, completely the same and absolutely and always good. It is we who either step into the safety of his love or into the fury of the same. God's wrath is love's fury. It is love that mourns, love that grieves, love that hates sin and death. And if Jesus has been made sin for us, then that love will, in the words of Isaiah 53, crush him. You see, his cup, his suffering, wow, in a small way, when we join him and follow him for the sake of others, we too suffer. But he suffers like Noah. He who is without sin offers himself for sinners. He faces for us the mighty love of God. And drinks the cup of its fury against all our guilt and our sin and our shame. And the same love that had given him life would now require life of him. And it's the thought of being separated. From the Father, of crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he must face a good God carrying the sin of the world. And in this moment of anguish, he longs for his followers his disciples, for those who call him Lord, to walk this road with him. But a big part of our passage is that these disciples, these closest three, go missing in action. You see, this prayer encounter in the garden 
was essential for Jesus to be strengthened to endure this test. Jesus is clearly being tested and tempted in his humanity to step away from his suffering as Messiah. And so this garden is a place of submission and a place of encounter. This time of prayer is critical for his willing spirit to master his flesh. And so we read again in verse 40, he returned to his disciples, found them sleeping. Couldn't you guys keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. And then listen to what he says. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You will not fall in the trial, that you will not fail the test. Watch and pray. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is using a, a military metaphor of taking watch, of standing guard, and of being in the battle. And he warns the disciples that they can't hope to pass the test that they too are facing in this moment without taking the time to watch and pray. You know, it's one thing to wish things were different for our hearts at an emotional level. Even our spirits, Jesus, want to get it right. But to be completely untrained and unprepared for the actual spiritual battle. Jesus says, watch and pray so that you do not fall. And watching is so different to wishing. We can wish or we want that the enemy does not prevail, but we need to learn to watch. Praying is so different to hoping for the best. We're in a world that's hoping for the best. Jesus is calling us to watch and pray. And yes, we are all experiencing these challenging days of COVID-19 very differently. None of us get to call out anyone else. The pressures on us can be many. Even just the joy and pleasure, but now pressure of trying to sustain life with little children in your space. Or else, maybe just as difficult in its own way to face these, this time all alone. Or to have underlying health conditions. Or to be isolated from your family. Or in contrast, to be locked down in abusive situations. To be suddenly unemployed, for your income to disappear overnight, to be in financial distress. These are tests. And in the language of Matthew chapter 7, in, in, when Jesus speaks of a storm that comes to all of our lives, storms will come. 
foundations are laid bare in the test, in the storm. We see what we've built on. And we want to blame the severity of the storm and the difficulty of the test when our foundations crumble. But Jesus looks at what we've built upon. And he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall. You see, in the test, appearances don't count. Foundations do. Will we have built with the resources of Jesus? Jesus is saying to you, he's saying to me, in this time of test and trial, come. And keep watch with me. I'll keep watch with you. And you're going to have to switch off that voice that's telling you, yes, that's noble and good, but it's just not possible. How can I give time when I'm so worn down, when I'm so tired, when I'm struggling so much? Watch and pray with me. I'll watch and pray with you. You know, the spirit is willing. But we've literally got to train our bodies, our flesh. Get over our good intentions and wishful thinking and build the spiritual capacity and endurance for this time. And then we see the Father's will. Verse 39, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus' prayer, in a sense, remains constant. He's repeating it, but it's going deeper. He, he starts asking, if it's not possible, Can we not find some other way? May you will be done. And he opens his heart to the Father. He appeals to Abba. But he heals even as he appeals. Now we need to understand Jesus was not unwilling. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's a misrepresentation of the passage to say Jesus was not unwilling. And, and this is actually a key, key factor. He wasn't unwilling. He was willing as long as he was certain that the cross was the only way. Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other possibility, then let this cup pass from me. The significance is immense. 
There is no other way. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus and what he has done on the cross. But the, the, the significance is that we don't have to save ourselves. And even to attempt to do so through our good works or through religion would be to doubt Jesus. And so we come in simple faith because we're aware of a transaction between the Father and the Son with the weight of life and death and all eternity hinging upon it. And this hunger that if there's any other way, Jesus was not unwilling. He was willing as long as there was no other way. We don't have to save ourselves. And not only are we saved, the significance continues, from sin, but from the fear of death. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The significance is that death is no longer a controlling power. The fear of death no longer directs our lives. In fact, death has become a servant and a slave, awaiting his own end. Death was once a dreaded enemy, but now the Apostle Paul explains it has become a slave to God's purposes. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, he writes, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean more fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so because of Jesus, death within the purposes of God becomes a slave in the service to the saints. It now merely opens the door and ushers us into the presence of the one who has loved us and died for us. Where eye has not seen nor ear has heard what wonders God has prepared for us. So we neither stoic nor heroic in the face of death. We're something far more subversive. We are filled with hope. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve, we lament with Jesus, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. The Father's will. Isaiah chapter 53 
speaks of the Lord's will. And after describing one who bore our pain and took up our suffering, punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will, the Father's will. Yes, to crush him, to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord, the Father's will, will prosper in his hands. Let's pray together. Father, this Good Friday, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he endured the cross, scorned its shame, and for the joy that was set before him, went through it all for us. Thank you. Thank you that you understand our grief. You know our trials. You've lived them from the inside out. Thank you that even though we never could and mustn't save ourselves, we can learn in you to train ourselves. Help us train this life to be as responsive to the Father's will as Jesus was. But thank you that that is only possible, only whatever gets done because of what we remember on this day, that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice for us. We put our hope, we put our trust, we put our faith in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.